Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port here on WDAY. Going to uh, starting the show on a little bit of a somber note. We'll have we'll have Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney on. I'd, I'd actually scheduled him to be on the show earlier this week to talk about you know some of the ongoing situations with the Dakota Access protests. Uh, recent interview with him uh, in in the forum in which some of his comments. Uh, created a stir. I wanted to talk with him about that, but obviously, uh, overnight we had a a tragedy happen up in Rollette County, up in the uh, northern uh, central part of the state. Uh, deputy shot uh, in an incident there uh, in the line of duty. Um, you know, there was uh, the, the the shooter has also died. Um, certainly a, a, a tragedy. Um, a lot of details still coming out about that. Um, so I, you know, I, at this point, I, I think really the only thing we can do is is uh, mourn the loss of uh, another member of our of our law enforcement community. It's uh, it's just a terrible situation, and and hopefully we'll learn more. And uh, you know, it, it, it's hard to imagine anything that we could learn bringing. You know, what we have in front of us is a tragedy, and you know, hopefully we'll learn more as days come and into how that came to be. But, uh, you know, certainly that happened, so a a little bit of a somber note. Uh, The North Dakota State House of Representatives uh, just convening into session, starting with a uh, moment of silence uh, for uh, Deputy Colt Allery uh, of the Rolette County Sheriff's uh, Department. So not a good thing, Uh, and and that's certainly something it's, you know, both nationally and, and here in North Dakota. I mean, we're what, roughly a year removed from the death of uh, Officer Jason Moser. Um, you know, it's it's a tragedy. It's it's a it's a part of our society that this keeps happening. And, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough to talk about. So certainly certainly a, a, a tough moment, a tough moment there. It's it's hard to swallow. It really is. 701-293-9000 if you want to join the program, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, we, got, uh, we got a lot of different stuff to talk about. You know, yesterday on the show I I, uh, I broke the news that Public Service Commissioner Brian Kalk would be, had applied for a job at the EERC at the University of North Dakota. That's the Environment and Energy Research Center. Uh, it As of today, he has, uh, he has accepted that job, so he is leaving the Public Service Commission and uh, Governor Governor Doug Burgum will uh, will be appointing a replacement. It'll be interesting to see who that might be. Um, so that's uh, that's certainly news uh, on the blog today. The other thing I wanted to talk about before uh, before Sheriff Laney comes on, obviously not related to uh, Sheriff Laney at all, but is um, something that I think is coming up at the State Board of Higher Education that's going to get a lot of attention. It's 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 going to get a lot of you're going to be hearing a lot about this in, in the coming days. Next week, the State Board of Higher Education will be reviewing changes uh, to Policy 605.3. Now, what Policy 605.3 uh, does in part uh, is it requires that tenured fac- faculty, quote, shall be given written notice of termination, including the reasons for the action, at least 12 months prior to the date of termination. Essentially what this means is that when you're talking about tenured faculty, nobody can be fired unless you give a 12-month notice, right? It, it takes a year 
to fire anybody for for any reason, really. I mean, if if you're going to if you're going to terminate them, it takes 12 months. They must be given written termination of 12 months. They essentially get to know for 12 months, you know, they get to continue working and collecting pay before they leave. That's the policy of the North Dakota University system right now at all of the institutions for tenured faculty. Uh, the State Board of Higher Education is going to be considering a rule change um, that would reduce that 12-month notification down to at least 90 days. So three months, roughly. And I, I think that's a good move. When other states have done it, though, it has prompted some pretty harsh blowback in the form of people claiming that it's it's a a blow to academic freedom. It's a blow to... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's politics inserting its way in, into higher education. The reason why this is being considered, and it, it has the endorsement of Chancellor Mark Hagerod, that the reason why this is being doing is, is it, it essentially means that the process of eliminating a position of tenure factory is, is just too lengthy, right? So consider the situation the state of North Dakota is in right now. We have a budget situation that's going to necessitate some pretty major cuts. Um, a place where a lot of that cutting is is going to happen because it is a very large portion of our state budget is higher education. And so obviously whenever it comes time to start doing cuts, you know, one thing you got to look at is payroll. But the problem is, is the university system sometimes can't cut people, can't terminate people, or even transfer them without a without a year's notice. Now, you know, some people are going to say, oh, well, well, this is people coming after higher education. This is people attacking higher education. And it's not. I mean, sometimes in any enterprise, whether it's a private business or a public university or, or government or federal government or whatever, sometimes you gotta you got to downsize. Sometimes you got to move payroll around. It's just something you've got to do sometimes. Revenues go up and down. Things change. Times evolve. Your need for certain departments or certain jobs or, or whatever they change and so the board of higher education is going to be considering this policy change to take it from 12 months down to 90 days and i have a feeling it is going to prompt it's going to prompt a lot of protests it really is by the way the university of north dakota already seems to have they already seem to be moving in this direction they're offering buyouts to tenured faculty but you know honestly i don't I, I never understood this idea of, of tenure where you make it so hard to remove people, right? I mean, I why would you want to do that? This this seems to me what, what the State Board of Higher Education is 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 going to be considering here. And and as far as from my understanding, they're going to be first considering at their January 26th meeting, they'll get a first read of the policy, and then on February 23rd, uh, they'll get a second read of the policy, the policy change. And listen, I, not only do I think that this is needed in in terms of North Dakota's current budget situation, where clearly we got to tighten the belt, it is also a, a situation would be where we have a governor that has come in, Governor Doug Burgum, who has challenged the state of North Dakota, challenged our state government to find a way to do more with less. 
to find a way to deliver to North Dakotans the services they want at cheaper prices. And so, in my mind, why wouldn't you want to do this? Right? I mean, if, 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 that's, the, if that's the mission statement, if that's, if that's the assignment that our governor has given state government, and I think it's a good one. Right. I, I, I think it's an example of Burgum going beyond merely modifying some budget line items, moving some things around, cutting this, trimming that. Burgum is talking about fundamentally reforming the way government delivers services in a lot of different ways. And so to do that, you got to be flexible. Right. You, you got to have the flexibility to sometimes be able to make decisions to deliver those services. And so you've, you, you've got to ask. Who does it serve to give tenured faculty 12 months of leeway if they're going to be terminated? Well, you've got to notice, you know, you've got to give them a year notice before you can let them go. How much sense does that, who does that serve? Does that serve the interests of the students? Does that serve the interests of the taxpayers? Or does that serve the interests of the faculty? And, and I say that not to say that, that the interests of the faculty are, are something that we shouldn't consider. Obviously, we want faculty to feel like North Dakota institutions are a good place to work so that we attract good faculty who are going to do a good job serving the students and serving the state of North Dakota in their jobs. But we got to be flexible sometimes because things change. It's it's going to be a hot issue. Trust me. You, you, you probably haven't heard anything about it yet, but it's, it's going to be a hot issue, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this plays out. I, I hope... The board sticks to their guns and gets this done. Uh, more to come straight ahead if you don't want to weigh in. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back. Go away. Report 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney is going to be on in the next segment. Stay tuned for that. We were talking about a policy that's going to be considered by the North Dakota University system to modify a policy which, which gives tenured tenured faculty you know, currently they get a year's notice if they're going to be terminated. Uh, this would go down to 90 days. Um, I, I, and I think it's a good thing. I, I was just reading, I wrote about this on the blog earlier today, and there were a lot of people, you know, concerned saying, you know, this is, it's an attack on higher education, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, higher ed needs to be flexible. I mean, higher higher ed needs to be innovative somebody did i thought made a valid point raised a concern saying you know we have a lot of problem with administrative bloat and you know in in a lot of ways you know we have teachers assistants and stuff like that teaching classes instead of tenured faculty and meanwhile you know the administration's bloated and you know i agree with that the administrative you know administrative bloat is a problem as well in higher education, but it's not a 
It's not an either-or situation. It's not a one-or-the-other situation. I mean, listen, I don't think it's a partisan issue. Maybe I'm getting a teal to weigh in here with me. You agree. I, I don't. I don't. The cost of higher education and the quality of services that it delivers, I think people right and left see problems there. Uh, am, I, am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong at all. Uh, the, the price of higher education when you get into undergrad degrees and then, you know, God forbid, grad degrees if your program isn't completely funded or you don't qualify for tuition waivers, it, it's too expensive. And it gets more and more expensive all the time. I'm not entirely sure, though, where the cost needs to be cut. Yeah. Because the, the last thing that I want to see is faculty, teaching faculty especially, ending up getting their pay cut or their benefits cut because those are the people that we rely on when we go to those institutions to provide us with the information and the learning experiences sure. that we need to get our degrees. You know, I, I was, a couple of years ago, I was slamming the university system, and I think it's still a problem to this day, although I haven't updated my numbers recently. I was slamming the university system because hiring of instructional staff, right, so so the people who are in the classroom, and this isn't necessarily just tenured staff, but just instructional staff, so that's people who are engaged in educating the students, Hiring had, had largely stagnated, but meanwhile, administrative hiring was up like 40%. And to me, that's a problem. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I, I think we need to refocus on a lot of the extracurricular stuff that universities do. I, I think sometimes they get off on, on these kicks where, you know, it's, it's, we're going to use the university as an economic development driver and we're going to do these. We're going to do a research park, and we're going to have these public-private partnerships, and we're going to have these deals with our foundation, and we're going to build apartment buildings, and we're going to do all this other stuff. And what gets crowded, even even sports, I would include sports in that, and, and what gets crowded out is that fundamental education mission. It, it really does. But that being said, I, I think there is something to me. I mean, you look at an organization, you say, listen, we want to be nimble. We want to be flexible. We have a very rapidly changing economy now. We have a very rapidly changing, uh, you know, situation. I, I I think life moves faster today. The world moves faster today than it did even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. It just does. And I, I, I universities have to be flexible. And to me, this is a way to bring flexibility, not so that we can just go out and fire a bunch of, of you know, professors who are tenured faculty who are, are teaching students but because sometimes if a university needs to make a choice to close down a department they should be able to do so in an efficient way once that choice is made and not have to drag it out for a year to fire somebody i mean i, I don't care if it's a if it's a government agency or a private business or whatever you cannot have that sort of inflexibility in your payroll i just it, it, it makes zero sense to me i just wish the focus was more on the areas of higher education that would benefit more from cuts than yeah. something else that's going toward dealing with the people that are responsible for teaching the young adults who are coming to these institutions for their higher education. I mean, you're, you're right in that the university as a whole, like as a, as a system does need more flexibility, but it, 
frustrates me that it's being legislated. It's being, you know, put out there as an overarching rule because what fits one university might not fit all universities. Well, it's, it's already it's already a rule. I mean, it's uh, the 12 year. It, that's the, the already a rule thing. Yeah, the 12 month thing is already a rule for all the universities. And so all they're doing is modifying that existing rule, taking it from 12 months down to 90 days. And by the way, for administrate the, the 90 days thing that already exists for like administrators for pretty much everybody else. Uh, except for, uh, I, I, I think administrators, it's like 90 days, and then it's even, it's like two weeks for uh, a, a different classification, which I'm, I don't, I don't have in front of me right now. So, but 90 days already exists for everybody except for tenured faculty, and I don't, I don't think, and it, to me, it's not an either or thing. Is administrative bloat a problem? Absolutely, but that doesn't, you know, the fact that that is a problem doesn't mean that inflexibility with tenured faculty isn't also a problem worth addressing to me you got to go after all of it and i hope they do go after all of it i guess i guess i would just rather see it being dealt with in sort of like a oh what's the what's the phrasing i'm looking for i wish that they would tackle the biggest problem first prioritize yeah if if there were if there was a better priority a better, a better way of prioritizing the issues that the yeah. system is facing, then maybe we could actually see some progress. Because even if this does go through, you know, how much is it actually going to change? Yeah. There's there's so many sacred cows in higher ed. And at UND, you know, we saw it with sports, right, where we had a president come in, you know, interim president Ed Schaefer, who, by the way, is going to be on the show on, on Monday, or excuse me, tomorrow. Ed Schaefer's going to be on the show tomorrow. Um, you know, he was up at UND and he came in and he was making cuts everywhere, including the sports. And, you know, the problem is, is, is those cuts continued and, and Kennedy came in, the new president and, you know, the, the cuts to sports were on the program and there was all sorts of media coverage and there was crying and there were social media campaigns and everybody was upset. Uh, and he backed down and, you know, and, and these, these sacred cow higher ed does so many things that are outside of that core mission, which is supposed to be developing knowledge and then transferring that knowledge into generations of students. We do so much that is outside of that. You know, we, we got to cut way back on that. But I don't know. I think it's a good proposal. It's going to be interesting to see how the debate plays out. But certainly that's uh, pretty interesting. Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney coming up next. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report here on WDAY. Your call-in number is 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. My guest now is uh, Cass County Sheriff uh, Paul Laney. Sheriff Laney, thanks for your time. Hey, Rob. Thank you for having me on. It's a, uh, it's a dark day for the, uh, the law enforcement community today. Uh, we have you know word that uh, Rollett County uh, Deputy lost his life last night uh, in an incident. Uh, a lot of the details of what happened are, are still coming out under investigation, but I, I imagine as a 
prominent member of our, our law enforcement community in the state that, that, that you want to comment on that? Uh, I do, yeah, in in the sense, you know, our, our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers uh, go out to the Rolette County, uh, Sheriff Meadows, all the men and women there. Uh, you know, we know their department here in North Dakota. We're a, a small, tight-knit community, so we all know at least of each other. If, if we don't know each other personally or have attended training or, you know, and lately all of us, uh, you know, so many departments out at uh, out at the uh, uh, Dakota Access Pipeline protest and Rolette County was present out there. So many of our people uh, know that department well and, and know Deputy Allery well. So, yeah, our hearts are breaking again. You know, it's been a rough, long year for North Dakota law enforcement in 2016 with the loss of Jason Moser right here in our own area and then the, the DAPL uh <laughs> Uh, protests and all that's gone along with that, and, and now this. So, uh, yeah, the hits just keep coming. But uh, as we always do in North Dakota, we'll stand strong, and we're going to be there for our people, and, and we'll be there for Rolette County if they need anything. We've we've all put the word out to them that we're a phone call away. The th- things seem to have. Speaking of the uh, the Dakota Access protests, seem things in, in recent weeks seem to be heating up a little bit more out there. What's your involvement? I mean, you were you were obviously heavily heavily involved. You were out there a lot last year. Uh, things died down for a while. It seemed like you came home, but at, at this point, I mean, how, how much is that a part of your daily workload? Uh, for me, it's not uh, at all right now. I've been back since about December fifteenth, as things kind of de-escalated there for quite a while with the blizzards and the storms, and you know, it went down from seven or eight thousand in the camps to uh, into the hundreds. You know, every day that we were out there, we always assessed, you know, what do we need? What is our commitments? You know, our first priorities are always our home counties and our home uh, municipalities and and so you always constantly have to assess and as we looked at it from the leadership and command element out there you know there was a number of us sheriffs out there some chiefs and as we were able to you know have the numbers go down and things really started happening in smaller amounts and really could go days without anything happening uh, you know, our priority then is like, hey, we, we're not needed here. Our priority is, is back home in our own backyard. So I've been back here since December 15th and uh, taking care of business here. And and uh, so I obviously keep in constant contact with uh, people out there, and I have deputies out there and, and uh, people on scene. And now again this week, they've really escalated again. Uh, we've had a number of confrontations and and they've really started to push the envelope again, coming back to the bridge, cutting the wires, throwing things at our officers and at the guard members. They've tried to get down to the drill pad, which is a good couple miles uh, from where they are to even get there. So they're making a very concerted effort to go have that confrontation. So right now for me, it's monitoring, keeping in, in contact with the leaders that are out there and uh, with my deputies that are out there. And we'll constantly assess if they need a you know, a massive response, then we'll have to gear up and we'll we'll take care of business. And, um, you know, if we're not needed out there, uh, we're not going to be there. And our hope is that we're not needed out there where we don't have to be out there at all, that this could come to some kind of a peaceful, successful conclusion, hopefully with the new administration coming in. Hopefully we'll see some federal help and some federal assistance, as we should have from the beginning. And um, and we can start giving our people some breaks and, and uh, let North Dakota law enforcement rest and recoup and rehab and at the same time we're still gonna have to deal with a funeral now in the next couple weeks so uh uh it'd be it'd be nice to see that assistance and that help from the federal government 701-293-9000 if you want to join the program 888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com recently there was a a a featured piece which which i thought was just terrific about what it was like as one of several North Dakota law enforcement officials who were in a leadership position 
uh, out there in in Morton and Burley counties during the, the heights of the, the the protests. It was excellent piece. I, I would recommend reading it. In it, you, you made reference to I, I I think what you described as the perceived struggles of the Native American communities or the, the perceived plight, and, and some people took exception to that. And I wanted to give you an opportunity just just to explain that or maybe flesh that out a little bit because I think some people were imputing meaning to it that that you didn't intend. Right, exactly. I mean, there's no doubt over our, our the years since since uh, Europeans arrived on our shores uh, here that what became the United States of America. There's been confrontations. There's been incidents across the the years with Native Americans, and I'm very very well aware of it. I've had people tell you you need to read your history. You I'm well aware of history, and and uh, you know, and history is one of the things that I, I love most. I have Native Americans in my family. I have uh, Native American blood in my wife's family. Uh, my sister-in-law is married uh, to a, uh, uh, a Native American family uh, down in South Dakota. So I'm well in tune with that, and I'm very, very, uh, you know, kind of, I want to say, I want to say in touch, but I, I believe in their cause, and I believe in their frustrations, and I understand what they're saying. What I meant by that is that every eco-terror, what I, we call there the eco-terror, the ones who are there for their eco-agenda, uh, and who turn everything into a confrontation for their cause, and that everybody kind of came together in that one little area of southern Morton County. Uh, it was it turned away in some cases so much from oil and more just about um, the treaties and the taking of the lands and all that type of things and the the oppression of the Native American people. And I, that's in a sense that's what I meant by the perceived because there's a lot of things that are perceived and there's a lot of things that are real. But everybody seemed to think coming to Morton County, South Dakota was going to be the way to solve all this, and confronting law enforcement out in the middle of the southern prairie was going to be the answer to everything that happened. And this this uh, protest out there just took on such a different life with all the different factions, the Native American groups that were there, the eco-groups that were there, the anarchist groups that were there. Uh, you know, it's so many different agendas all come together, and we were the barrier between them and their frustration. And that's what I meant by... Uh, every, I just I meant it more that everybody came together there to bring about their anger, their frustrations. I spoke with a, with a Native American elder one day, and I asked him that. I said, this is more than about oil. This is about all the years of perceived oppression. And he said, absolutely it is. And he says, we're coming together, and we finally have a voice. And I respect that. Uh, everybody sure. should have a voice in America, and everybody should have the right to protest in America. But you don't do it by burning walls of fire and throwing logs and Molotov cocktails at the people that are there trying to keep the peace. Uh, and, and that's what I meant, uh, you know, and that's what my, my intent was to say everybody came there. And, and treaties, the, 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 the oppression, those that feel it's there, and then some of the, the things that are perceived, those conversations need to happen with the federal government. There's not one thing that Morton County can do. There's not one thing really that North Dakota can do to solve the treaties from the 1800s. Those conversations need to be held in the halls of the federal government in Washington, D.C. And, and yes, the right to protest, the right to speak, the right to stand a line. They have all the right in the world to do that, and I took an oath to protect them to do that. And if they want to do it and people want to do it the lawful, legal way, the peaceful way, I'll be the first one standing to make there to make sure that they could do it. But the violence that came out of this, the, the misinformation, that's what got so frustrating. What uh, what what sort of things? I guess shifting topics a little bit. What what sort of initiatives are you looking? Obviously, we're in a new year. Uh, you know, Cass County and 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 the Fargo more Fargo community. 
What, 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 what sort of priorities are on your plate for this new year? You know, right now, I think for us, just kind of getting regrouped and rehabbed after the, the long five months, you know, get, making sure, I mean, early on here right now, just getting all of our training back up to par and making sure we meet all of our certifications and, you know, all of our, our things along those lines. We've had people deployed for so long and in such an intense environment, we need to regroup. Uh, we got some hiring to do. We got some recruiting to do. Uh, we had some retirements. Uh, we, you know, we have some training. We have people in our field training now. So we're just kind of trying to just get life back to as normal as ever life ever gets in a law enforcement agency. Uh, and I said that's a big part of it. We have a legislature in session, so we're monitoring and watching uh, a lot of the, the bills that affect law enforcement and, and getting involved with that. Uh, you know, obviously we run a, a large jail, so we've got to always be keeping an eye on that. We have some, some new jail rules that have come out this year, so we got to make sure we're always in compliance. So it's just a lot of trying to get life back to some norm, normalcy. Uh, yet, then you have events like last night in Rollette County that put everything into to turmoil for a while, and we still have the uncertainty of what's going to happen out west, and, and we're still on sure. standby to go help if if they need that larger contingent. And right now they don't, and but that could change in you know an hour or a day. And last... uh, so that's just kind of our focus right now, Rob, is just kind of rehabbing, retraining, and, and getting gotcha. life back to normal. And our, our deputies have some downtime, hopefully some vacation time with their families. And uh, now we sit down. And it's actually one of our I don't, one of our command meetings come next week. It'll pick what's on the agenda for the next week, the next quarter, the next you know uh, half year, and the next year. And and let's hope we can accomplish those and not get diverted. We always like to you know have a kind of a base plan and a base foundation because then you can you can respond sure. to anything and you know. But if you don't really have a roadmap and a plan, then you're kind of just kind of going uh, you know Adrift. you're steering a. Yeah. So you're just kind of going through the night with no steering, and so we always yeah. try to have that foundation. So that's kind of our focus right now. Well, last question. Uh, in terms of the legislature, what bills are on your radar? Uh, there's, you know, we're watching there's some bill. There's a bill on the radar with DOCR, uh, just some things with Department of Corrections Rehabilitation, kind of uh, with oversight of jails. Uh, obviously, there's the right now, we're just starting to kind of tune into the the uh, like weapons in the schools, and we have school resource deputies and and, and officers of the schools. So we're kind of trying to see uh, what's happening with that. Uh, there's the 911 bill uh, where uh, there's going to you know would there be a, a charge on to the 911 fees, and 50 cents of that would go to funding our interoperability. Our, a lot of people don't realize our there's a sunset clause on all of our radios in North Dakota, and that's at the end of 2018. And if we don't find a funding source to 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 move to the next level, uh, we're going to North Dakota and all of I mean law enforcement in general is going to be uh, in a deep deep situation with these these aren't cheap systems. You're talking millions of dollars. So that bill is going to is a way to help uh, you know offset the costs. And so that one's going through. So we're watching that one. So that's kind of the ones that are hot on our radar right now. And uh, but you know things come up out of the blue quick. And yeah. and uh, I saw there was one. Uh, that was introduced, and I, I, I got a check. That one might have been squashed already where uh, government officials can't testify or like, government employees can't testify, and that's a little spooky to even think something like that would be Yeah, I think it was something like they can't, uh, unless unless given explicit uh, permission or something, they can't come down. Or I, I, I forget. Yeah, I think that got a committee hearing, and I think it got a do not pass re- recommendation. I don't know if it's got a floor uh, vote yet, but I'll have to look into it. I think you're right. I think you're yeah. right. I think that's what I heard as it's well. It's on my so, radar, too, and I, I, I get what they're trying to do, but honestly, I, I think the more input we can have from the people on the ground implementing the policy, the better. I, I, don't, I don't see where we're served by excluding people. 
I, I agree. Knowledge is power. And if you have people working yeah. in that environment that have that knowledge, why wouldn't you want to at least hear from them so you can make an educated decision with your vote? Yeah. So, agree I agree I or disagree, they should at least be heard. Yeah. Sheriff, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Hey, anytime, Rob. You take care, and thanks for checking in with us. We really appreciate it. Definitely. That's uh, Cass County Sheriff Paul Laney. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000-888-9700-9329. Welcome back. Rob Report here on WDAY. 701-293-9000-888-9700-9329. Just a few minutes left. Coming up on the uh, Jay Thomas Show, Governor Doug Burgum is going to be on at uh, 2.30. He's over in Washington, D.C. for uh, Trump's inauguration. Uh, also, uh, West Fargo, uh, Rich Mattern, which West Fargo Mayor Rich Mattern on at uh, 3.05. So, yeah, Trump uh, Trump getting inaugurated tomorrow. Um, I guess, depending on how you see that, it's either uh, it's either the apocalypse or, uh, or you're excited about it, I guess. It, it doesn't seem... Judging from my social media uh, streams and, and cable news and everything else, it doesn't seem like there's any room for any intermediary positions, Natil. It seems like it's one extreme or the other. Either the world's ending or they're happy about it. I'm exactly. pretty sure that's going to be the trend for just about everything when it comes to this administration from this point forward. I, do, you, do you think the extreme? I, I don't think. Listen, I, I get skepticism of Trump. Didn't vote for him. I think we could have picked a better Republican candidate who could have beat Hillary Clinton, who was an awful candidate. Uh, so I'm, I'm not I'm not exactly enthusiastic about Trump, but I don't think that this hyperbole that he's, a, you know, he's a Nazi and a white supremacist and all this other stuff. Those claims are demonstrably de- demonstrably untrue, and I think they hurt the credibility of Trump's critics. Well, and yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not agreeing with those. Um, hyperbolic statements. What I'm saying is that going forward into this administration, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of middle road given by pretty much anyone. His critics are going to be extremely hyperbolic on how awful he is, where his supporters are going to be on the other end of the spectrum, very hyperbolic about how wonderful everything he's doing is. There's there's just not going to be a lot of middle ground. So his inauguration, I think, is just the the beginning of that forward motion trend. And you know what's interesting about it is it's it's almost un, 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 unmoored from the typical ideological divides that we talk about. Because Trump is not, he is not a stereotypical conservative. He's not socially conservative on a lot of issues. He's not, and, and, and certainly like on economic policy, he has a great deal of appeal, obviously, to traditional union blue collar democratic voters so he's not it's 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 not like he is this conservative ideologue he is something else entirely um but he's certainly polarizing there's no question about that jay thomas show coming up doug bergam in the first hour stay tuned for that you catch me here monday through friday 1 to 2 p.m or 24 hours a day seven days a week at say anything blog.com thanks for listening we'll talk again